Sunday evening service, we're going chapter by chapter through the book of Revelation. It is kind of a difficult book to pick up in. If you haven't been with us, you're welcome to go onto the website where we've discussed previous chapters. At the beginning of the book, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. At the beginning of the book of Revelation, it does say that you will be blessed if you read it. So never let anyone convince you that Revelation is a closed book and that you'll find, you can find out in heaven what it really means. Because it does say in the first chapter that you will be blessed if you read it. But it never anywhere does it say that it's easy. It's not, it is not an easy book. It is far easier to understand if you are well-schooled in the Old Testament. If you understand the Old Testament, the book is far easier to understand. And um, as a result, one of the things that's difficult is just moving along with the Old Testament verses as there are references to them. So why don't we begin before we pick up? We are in the middle of chapter 11. Father, I just thank you and I pray in Jesus' name that you will move us along, Lord, this wonderful book, the revelation, the apocalypse, the unveiling, it means unveiling, of Jesus Christ, this part of his character, which is so important for us to learn, but it's, um, it's sometimes mis- mistaken even by us, it, it, the side of that part of his character that is just and is faithful to judge, that involves vengeance, a righteous vengeance, Lord, that we would understand it. But that, Lord, that this book also would give us hope, that it would give us hope and that we would be, it would stir in us a longing, a longing for it, the new heavens and the new earth that is promised in it. And Lord, that it would give us a holy fear as well. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So... The sequence of the book, at least the part about the judgments, the book of Revelation, is if if there's a sequence in it, and those of you who have been with us, I have repeated this many times, but just for those who are newer, verse 19 of chapter 1, Jesus tells John what to write. He says, write the things which you have seen, he's already in which he did in in chapter 1 mainly about the appearance of Jesus in front of him at the Isle of Patmos. And that's what, on, on the Isle of Patmos, and that's what he writes about in chapter, in chapter 1. And then he puts, he says in verse 19 of chapter 1, also write down the things which are, present tense, the church as it exists, which happens in Revelation 2 and 3. He, he speaks to things as they are in the churches. And then he says, and, and also write the things which will take place after 
this. And so after he writes about that which is, or the things which are, in chapters 2 and 3, chapter 4 begins with that same phrase, after these things. And then it opens up into this chronicle of the tribulation period. Chapter 4 begins with a picture of heaven, but there's a, a sequence of judgments. First, there are the seven seals of judgments, which give way to the seven trumpet judgments. Then the seven bowls of judgments. And uh, I, I, I shouldn't say, there's not necessarily seven, 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 which that doesn't necessarily mean there's seven judgments. Sometimes the angels, there's a trumpet sounded. Actually, we'll see one right there that doesn't necessarily involve a judgment, but there may be. There's some event that happens in heaven uh, with each of these sevens. In between the sevens, there's what you would call a chapter, a parenthetical chapter involving things that are going on simultaneously in heaven they're, um, they're, or on earth. And so, but there, there, there is pretty much a chronology of judgments that come as a result of the seals, the seven seals, and then there's another set of judgments during the seven trumpet period, and then there's seven bowls of judgment uh, that are going to be coming. And then in, uh, last week, we, uh, two weeks ago rather, we started chapter 11 we got to verse 12, 13, 14. We're going to pick up in verse 15, which is the seventh trumpet, the seventh uh, angel. It says in verse 15, then the seventh angel sounded. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ." And he shall reign forever and ever. So, chapter 10 began with this extremely dramatic picture. It says in verse 1, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire and and it says in verse 2 his right foot was on the sea and his left foot on the land and and what do we say that symbolized it symbolized complete authority is going now to god in the same sense in verse 15 the angels it says the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices and 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 what there and the, what are the voices same, same kind of thing? All the kingdoms, the authority to them, they're going to go back under the direct operation, maybe is the way to say it, of God. He's going to, uh, uh, maybe a better way of putting it, he is t- he's taking back at this time any kind of control that he has delegated to anybody else. It's a mystery, and we don't totally understand it, but he, Jesus talks about the, in the New Testament, there's reference to the kingdom of this world. God's given some dominion over to Satan. That's a strange thing. He's also given some dominion over to evil people. 
we will know maybe when we get to heaven why that was all the case. But here in, again, that, that picture of this angel at the beginning of chapter 10, and now the, the angel sounding and the voices from heaven, there's this picture of all the authority being taken back. You know, it's all the, ultimately the Lord throughout all of history, but for whatever reason, he, he has given some reign, uh, even to demonic powers. But that's all going to end. And the thing that's so important to understand about the Revel, uh, book of Revelation, as hard as it is to read so much of this stuff, if man is left to his own devices, this crazy war, this crazy fight that he has been um, waging against God's never going to end until God just intervenes, judges, the wrath is poured out, and then just takes back all the control. Now we do, we do see in Second Peter chapter 3 and other places, the reason he hasn't done it yet is because of his love, his long suffering. He's waiting for people to be saved. There are people even saved during the tribulation period. But uh, these judgments all taking place after the church is removed. You do not see a mention of the church in any of these chapters. It, the, the mention of the church, of course, dominates chapters 2 and 3, but then there's a silence. Why? The church isn't here. God, the church has been removed. In Thessalonians it says the church was not appointed to wrath, this wrath, the wrath spoken of in the book of Revelation. So the angels don't like it any more than we do. <laughs> that um, the, the abuse of power, the abuse of authority on uh, planet Earth, and here they are rejoicing that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders, anyone remember who they represent? The elders, anyone? Who do the elders represent? The church. Remember that from chapter 4. The elders are a representation of the church. We saw that in chapter 4. It says the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and they worshiped God, saying, We give thanks, O Lord God Almighty. The one who is and who was and who is to come. So he first meant, they, they first praised God for his power. And now it's going to be just the final uh, show of power as it pertains to the outpouring of his wrath. And so they're sort of singing in unison with the angels of verse 15. And then there's that eternal quality of God the one who is and the one who was and the one who is to come because you have taken your great power and reigned. In other words, the wait is over. The wait is over. The end is coming. The end to this abuse of power, this end of this war against God. Verse 18 says, the nations were angry and your wrath has come. So, you just read it in the news. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that the war is at war with God. 
Remember when in Acts chapter 9, when Jesus knocked Paul off his donkey? I don't know. If, and he, what did he say to him? Why are you persecuting me? Who is he persecuting? He's persecuting people in many parts of the world. And even in our country now, you see that they're waging war against Christians. Well, when they are, that's waging war against the church. That's an anger. That's, uh, um, rather, that's when, they're, when they are um, persecuting Christians, when they're persecuting the church, they're persecuting God. And in verse, verse 18, it says, the nations were angry and your wrath has come. The nations are angry at God and it's manifested just by their anger at Christians living out their faith throughout really the world. But we see so much, so much of that today. But it says, your wrath has come and they're praising him for it and the time of the dead that they should be judged. So very soon there's going to be a judgment, a, a right uh, um, the white throne judgment, but also, as it continues, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets, and the saints. So there's also going to be a seat of judgment of rewards that's going to be taking place, and they're praising God for this. People have been waiting through all history, looking forward to this, this time of judgment uh, where the uh, the, the, the wicked the f- will be judged, but also those who have followed God will, will be rewarded. Uh, in fact, they're going to be getting some rewards. These guys who are, these 24 elders who are bowing down, it says, and those who fear your name, small and great. Speaking of all who have trusted in the Lord uh, there in verse 18, throughout all of history, uh, they're going to be rewarded it refers to saints there. Now, a saint is not someone who has a stained glass window made for them on top of a church. It's anyone who has believed in Christ. The word saint in the Greek is, just means a holy one. And all these are going to be rewarded, it says. And then they say, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. So make no mistake about it that the earth is being destroyed by those who are rebelling against God. And though it's true that in some senses man is destroying the world environmentally, what's more important is that the world is being destroyed with immorality in all its forms. In all its forms. It's, it's destroying the beauty of, of God's creation. So now in verse 19, a fascinating verse then the temple of God was opened in heaven. What? What is that all about? Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in the temple. Wow. Now remember in Hebrews 9... When God gave Moses the model for the the tabernacle, that place of meeting where where God, uh, in in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, where the tabernacle in the wilderness, where God actually was present with them as the place of meeting, and there was the Ark of the Covenant and the utensils there, the vessels of ministry. It says in Hebrews they were a copy of what 
existed in heaven. And sometimes we think, oh, it's just a copy meaning, well, in heaven it's the presence of God. But there's not really an Ark of the Covenant there. Well, no, what we're seeing here is there actually is um, an Ark of Covenant. There's an act. What was given to Moses or what Moses' artisans made, there's actually one of them in heaven. And that's what we're seeing here. So then the temple of God was opened in heaven and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and earthquake and great hail. Does that remind anyone of anything in the Old Testament? In the book of Exodus, there's just a scene very similar to this when the law was given. It says, now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightnings, the flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, and when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. And so in heaven, remember, what's in the Ark of the Covenant is what Moses was put, the two tablets of the law, and when the law was given in Exodus 20, these very things happen, lightnings, noises, and thunderings. And so what this is appears to represent here is that as the judgment is reaching its final stages on planet Earth, just prior to Jesus' physical return, just prior to Jesus establishing his kingdom, this is the the temple of God was opened in the ark of his covenant. Remember with the law in it, and, and the law is just representing uh, you know, the, the, the judgments that flow forth from it, and they are righteous judgments. The law is a ministry in our life. It's a tutor that brings us to Christ. But um, it, it, it's also, there's just the holiness that it, it really uh, triggers the judgments, violations of the law triggers the judgments of the law of, of God um, as well. In chapter 12, it says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and her head a garland of 12 stars. Wow, you know, in the, when we were going through Daniel and Ezekiel, I was putting up on the projection screen all those crazy images. I, I don't know if I want to do that to you with some of these images in, in, in chapter 12. But here we see it says a great sign. And it's, it's so fascinating to me. It's in heaven. This is taking place in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and her head a garland of 12 stars. Then, being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. So who is this? Oh, you can only imagine the commentators. There's volumes and volumes of commentators commenting on who this is. Some people... Um, say this woman represents the church. That can't be because this woman gives birth to a child who later on in this chapter we find out is none other than Jesus Christ. Verse 5 says she bore a male child who was to rule all nations. So we know that Jesus gave birth to the church, right? 
It's not the other way around. In the book of Matthew, he says, Peter makes his confession that he is uh, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, on this rock, on this confession, I will build my church. Jesus gave birth to the church. The church didn't give birth to him. Some people say this is the Virgin Mary. As you look through the chapter with her fleeing to the area of what appears to be the area east of the, around the, the Jordan River, east of the Jordan, uh, the Jordan, it just is inconsistent with really wh- uh, whoever Mary could be. Actually, the woman is, uh, the weight of the authority is the woman represents Israel. We have a question in back. I have a picture of the woman from Revelation. <laughs> okay, let's take a vote. Who, who wants to see this picture? Um, Okay, some people didn't. I, I, I don't know. Uh, they don't want to see the picture, but <laughs> go ahead. Let's see the picture of this woman. woman. I hope you don't have any nightmares. I hope no one has a nightmare. Oh, what? Look at that. Look at the guy down there. We're going to get to him in, uh, in verse 3. Okay, I, I don't know. This is why we don't put these images up. <laughs> you see, all you people who didn't say yes, you were right. But um, uh, anyway... Uh, uh, a woman appears, and, and but anyway, the weight of the the authority is that it's the nation of Israel. Why do I say that again? Old Testament imagery. Anyone recognize any of this imagery? If Genesis thirty-seven comes to mind, there's imagery there, very similar. You remember that Joseph comes to his brothers and he was a naive kid because he shouldn't have been telling him about his dreams but he said yeah I had this dream he had 11 brothers and we were um, binding up sheaves of wheat and my sheave stayed up and every all, all the other sheaves you know bowed down to mine and they were all mad at him because they knew exactly what it meant but then he went on and he said and he made it even worse and he said, yeah, in another dream, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. And it appears um, to be the, just the imagery of um, representing, representing Israel. And there's, there's other reasons as well. We'll get to them in a minute. Verse 3 says, and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. So this is Satan himself right here. It says he has the red probably representing his appetite for blood. No, no, make no mistake about it. Satan has an incredible appetite for blood. The child sacrifice, just so demonic in nature in the Old Testament. Abortion, war, violence. Satan has an appetite for blood. It says that he um, he has seven heads and, and ten, ten horns. The, the horns represent, horns throughout the Bible represent power. Now if you were with us in Daniel chapter 7 and happen to have an impeccable memory, 
Daniel chapter 7, verse 7 and 8 and 24, we learn you know, it, it speaks of the ten kings representing the ten powers who will, will make up the final world ruling empire at the end of the age just prior to Jesus' coming. And it comes out of the holy of the old Roman Empire and the Holy, you know, Holy Roman Empire as well, and and the ten kings will turn their power um, over to the devil. So the devil here has um, ten horns. He's they've they've given over their power to him, and uh, not necessarily personal personally him, but in the form of the Antichrist who's possessed by the devil, who's going to use that power to dominate the world and to rule the, the world during the great tribulation period. Does he have seven heads? Could speak of wisdom. A head often speaks of wisdom in the Bible. We know that Satan, he is a, a wise, wily old character. I mean, he is, is Genesis 3, the serpent is more wise than any beast of the field. He's going to, he's so wise, he's going to be able to sell his lie to almost the whole world, this guy. And I shouldn't call him a guy, he's a creature. And um, because of the removal of the church, just prior to the tribulation, it's going to be easy for him to consolidate world power around him. Verse 4 says, his, tr- his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. So this is another one of the complicating things about the book of Revelation. There's a timeless quality to it. He's, he's seeing this here. Um, he's seeing this sign here of the third of the stars of heaven and earth being thrown to the earth, uh, being thrown down to um, the earth. Rather, he's seeing a third of the stars of heaven, which represents demonic entities like himself who followed him into his rebellion, and um, they were all thrown to the earth in, in, in judgment. So what's happening in parts of Revelation is outside of time and space. It's outside of time. Obviously, this happened prior to Adam and Eve even being created. Now, Jesus says that I was there when f- Satan fell like lightning from heaven. Um, and this is the same, same thing here, referring to the same thing here. But uh, John has seen this vision. In the middle of verse 4, it says, And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon it was, as it was born. Verse 5, But she bore a male child who was to rule um, all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. And then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should be, feed her there 1,260 days. Okay, this is complicated. Try to follow me here. This ain't easy. When it refers to the fact that he stood Verse 4, he stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child, appears to be a reference to the book of Matthew where there was an attempt on Jesus' life by King Herod who had found from, out from the Magi that there was a king who, who was being born into the world. Uh, the, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and Joseph, Jesus' father, that Joseph, and he fleed to Egypt, but Herod 
as you know, gave orders to kill every kid under two. He has a great appetite for, for, for blood. And so he was unsuccessful there. It says in verse 5, she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. That is a reference to Psalm chapter 2, which, uh, which is a messianic uh, psalm there in Psalm uh, chapter 2. And uh, when you read that, he's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. That's not something to fear. Verse 9 of Psalm chapter 2 says, speaking of Jesus, Messiah, you shall break them with a rod of iron. That's something actually to look forward to. Jesus is going to keep the world under control, which man has an unfathomably difficult time doing. But when he, when he establishes his kingdom, he's going to be able to, to control planet Earth, and he's going to do it perfectly. And, but verse, verse 6 says, Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, that they should feed her there 1,260 days. So this is, this is complicated. At the end of verse 5, where it says the child was caught up to God in his throne, just a reference to the fact that Satan tried to kill Jesus. He hounded Jesus during Jesus' life. He failed. Jesus went up to the... Uh, was resurrected, was ascended into heaven, and then there in um, verse six, it's it's a reference to the woman who who do we say the woman was Israel, who during the tribulation period flees, has to flee. Now, if I haven't lost you yet, it does say in Matthew twenty four, Jesus refers to it. Speaking to, to um, the children of Israel in Matthew 24. He says, during the time of tribulation, the great tribulation, when you see the abomination of desolation, verse 15 of 24, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, that is, the Antichrist going right into the temple, says, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And, and, and that's a reference to this very thing that we're reading about here in verse 6. Book of Daniel says that happens midway through the tribulation period at the three and a half year mark. How many years are 1,260 days? That's three and a half years. And so they, they flee. Where do they flee? Into the wilderness. Okay, if you're still with me and want to keep listening, Isaiah 16 actually refers to this way back when. When we were in Isaiah 16, there's a fascinating verse. In verse 4, I'll read it for you, of Isaiah 16, which speaks prophetically about Israel seeking shelter in the area of Moab, which is around the Jordan River, in the, it, it, in the wilderness. It says, let my outcasts dwell with you, O Moab. Be a shelter to them from the face of the spoiler. It's a reference to the Antichrist. 
For the extortioner is at hand, it, rather, for the extortioner is at an end, devastation ceases, the oppressors are consumed out of the land. And, and that is believed to be a prophetic reference to the very thing in um, Revelation chapter 12 where Israel flees and they are given a time in the wilderness where God protects them, that he protects them there. It then says in verse 7 that war broke out in heaven and Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought but they did not prevail nor was a a place found for them in heaven any longer. These verses aren't easy. But we do read in the Bible that demonic entities currently, as we speak, have access to heaven. We see this in the book of Job, where in the book of Job, the first couple of chapters, you have Satan going right into the presence of God in heaven and having a conversation with God. There's this delegated authority given to demons, certain demons and stuff, and and uh, for whatever reason, something that we don't fully understand, they, they have currently uh, some kind of access into heaven. And it's all going to end right before Jesus' return. And it says Michael, who, by the way, in the Bible, it says that he has a specific role as the, the, an angel um, overseeing Israel itself it says Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the and the dragon and his angels fought but they uh, did not prevail nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer so angels didn't like them either up there in heaven <laughs> don't like them either up there in heaven and and they're they're cast out remember at the end of all this there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth and it says, verse 9, so the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accuses them before our God day and night has been cast down. And so heaven's rejoicing over this. You know, the, the, the angels of God, they, they're not human beings, but they look at human beings I don't know exactly what term to describe, but with a fondness and a devotion and a loyalty that comes as servants of God, they don't like hearing Satan accuse the brethren day and night up in, up in heaven, but that's what he does. And that's what Satan does um, every day. Uh, the word accuser there, the accuser of the brethren, it says that Satan day and night accuses the brethren. Day and night he's accusing you. 
I, I sure wish I did a little better that, that, that Satan wouldn't be given the opportunity to accuse me. I mean, what, I wish it was like every other week. But he, he, because I sin every day, every hour, Satan is, is given this opportunity to accuse me before the Father, day and night. He's an accuser of the brethren. And the image here is a courtroom because kategoros, which is the word, the Greek word for accuser, means against a place of public speaking. And so the image is a is a courtroom. The father is is the judge in the courtroom. You know, Satan doesn't worry about the world, by the way. You don't see he's the accuser of the world. He has them in his back pocket. So he lays his case against us, the brethren, those who have put their uh, trust in Christ. Frequency, day and night. But he's 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 cast out. It says. And why is he cast? He, 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 he's cast out. Well, but, but, let me just add this, back up a little. It, it, it says that, actually, let's just continue in verse 11. It says, and they overcame. Who overcame? The brethren. By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. And, and there's a little... There's a lesson right here about how to overcome the devil. Right here. The Bible says the life is in the blood. I believe that's all the way back to the book of Genesis. And when Jesus gave his blood, he gave life to us. Because of our faith in Christ and his blood, Jesus can enter into this courtroom. Satan's the prosecutor. Jesus is the defense attorney. And all the accusations are, are thrown out by the judge, by the Father. Why? Because the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all sin. We've been reading about that. on That's from 1 John 1.7. We've been doing that on Sunday uh, going through 1 John on Sunday morning, and, and it says it cleanses us from, from all sin. And so it says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by trusting in the blood of the Lamb. So his accusations in heaven, they, they don't have any traction. It doesn't have any traction uh, against us. And so Satan's only hope, really, is that he can convince us to condemn ourselves. That's what's really sad. God is not condemning us. But So the only real way that he can get any traction or you know, have, have any effect is if, we, if he convinces us that we're condemned. But he's not going to convince God. Jesus is our defense attorney. He ain't winning no argument against Jesus. Remember what we were saying this morning. And that incredible verse in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Why that word just? Because God saw 
Isaiah 53, the suffering of Jesus' soul, and he was satisfied with it. And Jesus just presents that every time. Every time Satan accuses, he's presenting that to the Father. So he's not going to get any traction with the Father because of the presence of Christ there. He says, ever intercedes on our behalf. But he has traction when he can convince us to condemn ourselves. That's why it's so important that we just believe what the Bible says if you confess your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all the righteousness. Uh, it continues. It says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. This is the testimony, really, of putting their faith in Christ. They put their faith in him. Testimony is such a powerful thing. Your testimony is such a powerful thing. You may have heard stories before uh, about some great stories about moody and, and, and uneducated people just using their testimony. They're not apologists. They're not convincing people, but they just use their testimony. And they, one person or another, extremely educated, listening to the testimony, is cut to the heart, and they're, they're saved. And while I was preparing for this, this message, I, um, one of, the, you know, one of my, the, the sources where I study just points out that Paul, one of the most brilliant men really who ever lived, one of the greatest apologists, someone who could just put together a flawless logical argument. Isn't it interesting throughout the book of Acts, he so often, he just told his testimony. You know, you're reading through the book of Acts over and over again, you're hearing Paul's testimony. Why is this happening? You know, why are we hearing Paul's testimony again? It's so effective. The testimony that the Lord is doing with your life, they overcome by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. And last, it says, and they did not love their lives to the death. You know, when you don't love your life, in a way that, in a way that, you know, if, if Satan sort of threatens your career, he threatens your life, he maybe threaten you, your you actual your physical life or you uh, affects your life in terms of maybe a relationship that you're in where the person your relationship with is refusing to uh, trying to draw you in away from the Lord but you refuse you're not loving your life when you don't love your life it just disables the power of the devil over your life but brothers and sisters, this is what it's about. I was just speaking with uh, someone yesterday who's just taking the stand for Christ, may conceivably may get expelled from their university, or there could be some other ramifications for this person. And they could prevent any of that from happening by just keeping their mouth shut. 
And I, I had to quote this verse. Look, I, I hate to be the messenger of this, but it does say we're not supposed to love our life uh, to, the, to, to the death. In other words, if our life is, is threatened, we're supposed to follow Jesus and not hold on to our life. I tell you, you beat up the devil. Look, I'm not, I'm not one to, to mess with the devil. I don't think any of us should mess with the devil. He's a lot more intelligent than we are. He's a a lot wiser than we are. But you really can defeat him just by not loving your life. He's he's an incredibly intelligent guy. Think about a third of the angels following following Lucifer in his rebellion. You know, we by faith believe the things that are described in the Bible about heaven. Heaven. We, by faith, we've never seen God. We've never seen Jesus. Those third, those demons, however many million there are, 100,000, million, whatever, they had actually seen all this stuff. And Satan was able to deceive them anyway. Wow. Don't you think we should stick to our Bible? Stay real, real close to it. This guy's a deceiver. He's really good at what he does. That's why just any opportunity I get, get into the Word of God. Every counseling session, are you in the Word of God? Today again, I was in a counseling session. You know, are you guys in the Word of God? I was in, in a, like a marriage counseling thing, and it's always what I emphasize because Satan is—you're not going to beat him apart from being in the word. But what a great verse. They overcame him, the devil, by the blood of the lamb, by the word of the testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. He knows he's going to be chained up. He knows he's going to be defeated. And this time, when Satan's cast out of of heaven onto earth, he no longer has access to heaven. He knows his time is short. He's really going to be doing a lot of damage. Now, when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman. This is Israel, who gave birth to the male child. So this great persecution, which Jesus talks about, Daniel talks about. That's what it's referring to here. But the woman was given... Two wings of a great eagle, and she might that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, and that was what is uh, referred to there in verse six, where she is nourished for a time, a time, and a half time from the presence of the serpent. So that very phrase, I think it's also used in Daniel to represent three and a half years. So you have this period where many. Israelites, Jews, are protected in the wilderness supernaturally by God. It says the woman who was given two wings, she was given two wings of a great eagle. Uh, Interestingly, same imagery used of in Exodus chapter 19. Actually, it's verse 4. When the Israelites went through the Red Sea, it's the same imagery. They were given eagles. And so it's not literal here. It's just uh, they were given 
God's assistance to, 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 to go out. There was a protection there. Verse 15, crazy verse. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. This is crazy stuff, you know? We do read in the book of Job, oddly enough, that Satan had some kind of control of the weather here so as well. They're protected, however, by the Lord. The earth um, opens up. Uh, kind of like the sons of Korah in the book of Exodus who thought they were better than Moses and the earth just opened up and swallowed them up. Well, the earth swells up. It's an earthquake or something here. Who knows exactly? But they're protected from this, this flood, this group of, of Jews, large group of Jews who flee the persecution that Jesus talked about is being uh, uh, protected here. And then verse 17, we close here. And the dragon was enraged at the woman, uh, with the woman with Israel, meaning, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring. So these are Jews who live uh, just around the world. As you know, the very tragic history of the, of the Jews is uh, century after century. Satan's always um, behind some persecution of them. That's not going to stop until he is defeated. It says, who keep, it says, he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So many Israelites will turn to the Lord. Remember, there's 144,000 evangelists who are um, Jews, which we read about them in chapter 7, who are going around the world evangelizing to Jews, and Jews are coming to the Lord. And so um, Satan, there's going to be a, a persecuting time. So... That we'll stop there this evening, but uh, wow, I tell you what, the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation, and uh, but a lot, to, uh, a lot for us to learn uh, right here, just how we're protected, how we overcome. So right now we are going to be, thank you, we are going to uh, have a, a prayer time for about...